Well, good morning, family. What a great day it is. It's going to be hot, though, isn't it? Kind of, kind of anticipate that. Um, we had such a great men, men's uh, breakfast yesterday. Just really filled out the whole high school room there. It was, it was awesome, and uh, and it was just fun being back together with the guys. So. Well, we're back together here, and you're watching, those of you watching online, we are, um, last week we started off talking about the fact that most of us have experience where we have had promises from God, but they haven't been actualized yet. Some of them are things that you really believe that the Lord was going to do for you, and you didn't see it happen, but you've really had the promise, but it hasn't actually happened yet. In fact, there's a lot of promises in the scriptures that are laid on the table, I think, and, uh, and I am pretty confident there are a lot that will never be picked up. There are promises that will go dormant, and, uh, and when we see Jesus face to face someday, we will have known that we could have, there were things available to us, but they never actually came to us. And maybe, and this is where most of the cases are, we've either forgotten them or we haven't pressed in with the promises that God has given to us. And, uh, and many of those promises have a premise to them, and you have to fulfill the premise before you get the promise. And so the book of Joshua is really a story of God giving them something in advance and saying, this is yours, I'm giving you the land, and then, he, then, he does, and then it seems almost contradictory, but it's not. He says, now go take it. So this is yours, now go get it. And uh, there's battles in, involved, there's, um, you know, there, there's uh, strategies, there's um, most of all listening to what God has to say because many of the things that they don't eventually get that God has said, I give you, is because they didn't obey what the Lord said to do. God had told them, they, they looked at it, it was, uh, they made a decision based on either fear or, or just they, they, they thought they didn't need to follow God in this or they just decided they had a better plan. And all of that kept them from the very promise that God had already said is yours. And we have those same things. And as we look at the book of Joshua, we're reminded that how this applies to us. This book is really applicable to all of our lives if we're following the Lord. And, uh, and, and a call from those, to those who haven't been following the Lord to follow God and receive all that the Lord has for you in your life. And so the, the story, as many of you know, um, the Jews were in Egypt for 400 years. God delivered them. Moses is the, you know, the leader that God uses. Uh, there, there's a dramatic um, deliverance from their, from their, um, their being just you know, completely and totally um, in slavery to the Egyptians. 
and now they're set free. And God did that in a dramatic way. And, and all the area, everybody knew about that. The Jews didn't know that everybody knew about it. And so when they were delivered, they end up, you know, at Kadesh Barnea, the entry point to the land that God had promised them. And 12 spies go out. You know the story, many of you. Ten of them come back and say, there's giants in the land, they're going to kill us. And two of them come back and say, no, um, we can take them with God's help. One of them is named Joshua, who is now the new leader. He's leading the people back to the, the beginnings of entering into the promised land. And now Joshua has got the responsibility of leading the people. So last week we saw how God spoke to Joshua and says, Moses is dead, now it's your turn. You need to do and follow, and I'll, I'll be with you, I'll help you. Take courage, be strong. So chapter 2 and verse 1 is where we are, and it says, Now Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out two men. And, um, and, and right away you kind of think, well, why two guys? The first time there was 12. I think Joshua kind of learned a lesson, right? You, you don't need um, all these opinions, you, what you need is just a couple of faith-filled opinions. Joshua learned his lesson. So instead of t sending out 12, he sends out two. Now, it's going to be significant because the Bible actually here doesn't tell us who. But we do have some hints. And uh, stick around, and we'll hear about that because it's significant in the end of the story. It says... So these two men from Acacia Grove to spy secretly saying, go, view the land, especially Jericho. Because Jericho was situated right before a couple of miles on the other side of the Jordan River. And if you were to come into the land of Canaan or the land of, of Israel today, you would ha have to cross over the Jordan and the place where it was easiest to cross over the Jordan, which, by the way, the crossing place was probably where Jesus was baptized and the people were there. So it's down near the, um, the, the Dead Sea. And uh, I know if you go to Israel, there's another place they have because it's easy. They, they kind of made this whole baptism thing, but it's the same river, but... It's just quite a ways of dif difference in location. But you cross over the Jordan, and, uh, and you would come to Jericho. And uh, I I've been there quite a few times, I think four or five times, to the city of Jericho, the ruins of Jericho. And it was a small city. It was really more of a military encampment, Jericho. There were people who lived there. There was a lot of traffic that went through Jericho. And... Um, and uh, merchants and people who would come, be coming into Israel. And, uh, and, and it says, And they went and came to the house of a harlot named Rahab and lodged there. And you go, well, what were they looking for? Why were they going to the harlot's house? 
Well, actually, in those days, um, if you went to a hotel, you know, their, their, their um, kind of uh, hotel of those days, it was usually a harlot's house as well. Because as travelers would come in, the guys were ready to find anything that they, you know, they wanted. And, uh, and so they were accommodated usually at, at hotels with the possibility of meeting a harlot. And so here is, in fact, a, a, a harlot named Rahab. And it, her house or her hotel house was actually right near the gate of the, of the, of the city of so when you went into Jericho, her house was right near the gate. Travelers would come. They'd go into the hardest house and, uh, and spend the night. And it was kind of the place, if you're going to go to a hotel, you're going to go to that place. And if you want anonymity, as the spies wanted, that was a place to get anon- anonymity. So we're not going to assume anything more than that that they were going to the harlot's house because that was a place to hide and that would be the most common place. Now, isn't it interesting because this story is mostly about this prostitute named Rahab. And so you have the story where God is telling Joshua and you have this wonderful kind of spiritual dynamic of being people of faith and you're going to go take the land and all of that. And chapter 2 is about a prostitute. And you just kind of, what in the world? Why are we going there? You know, couldn't you have skipped that part of the story? And the answer is absolutely not. There's some critical and crucial things that we all need to learn from this story in chapter 2. See, God uses an enemy with a terrible reputation so that we won't pigeonhole people when it comes to what God can do. And God doesn't confer with us when he chooses someone. Kind of get that down. God chooses who he wants to use. And we, we don't see the full picture. We only get a small smidgen. And as people are labeled by others, understand that's not God's label. So Joshua chapter, verse 2 says, and it, and it was told the king of Jericho saying, Behold, men have come here tonight from the children of Israel to search our country. So they, they wanted anonymity, but somehow they were caught. Somehow the word got out, there's some Jews here. Now we don't know how, if it was that they, they recognized their dress or their language or however they found out, but they found out the, and, it, and, the, and it went up to the, the king of Jericho that there's some people, there's Jews here. Now the Jews were encamped on the other side of the Jordan and obviously the king of Jericho would have known that. He knows that the Jews are there and there's a story behind that. And so the spies are seen entering the city. And so the king of Jericho sent, it's verse 3, uh, the king of Jericho sent to Rahab saying, bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out all the country. 
Now, there's something interesting about the culture of that day that is supposed to be in, in our culture as well. That a man or woman's house is their sanctuary. That, that they wouldn't just barge in to a house. That that, that would be, you know, that, I mean, obviously in war they might do that, but, but there, there was a, a civilized way. And when a person was in their home, that home was a sanctuary. So they're calling them and, and, and saying to Rahab, bring out those spies. We're not, you know, they don't barge in. They say, bring, cause the, the spies to come out of their house. Um, and, uh, and it says, then the woman took the two men and hid them. So m- maybe the guy's at the door already. He's knocking. He says, you know, the king says to bring out the men. And she goes and hides them. So she said, yes, the men came to me. Um, and, uh, and, 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 but I did not know where they were, were from. And it happened as the gates gate was being shut when it was dark that the men went out. Where the, where the men went, I do not know. Lie. Pursue them quickly, for you may overtake them. So she's not exactly telling the truth. And, um, but that's not her biggest problem, right? I mean, she's a prostitute. A lot of people really focus on this. Well, God blessed a woman who lied. She says, well, she was a prostitute. She had other problems too. That's not the only one. In Joshua 2.6 it says, but she had brought them up to the roof and hidden them with the stalks of flax, which she had laid in order on, on the roof. Now, in those days, the roofs were flat, and they would take these stalks of, flat, of flax, and they would dry them out on the roofs. And they made clothing from those, that flax. They, they, um, they, they were able to write on those stalks as they would you know, weave those stalks of flax. They made rope out of the stalks of flax. We'll see about this. She might have even had a side business as, uh, because of the scarlet threading that was actually, um, we see here in a minute. And so, then the men pursued them by the road to the Jordan, to the, to the forts, and as soon as, as those who had pursued them had gone out, they shut the gate. Now, before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof, and she said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land that the, the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Zion and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. Now, she's recalling something that happened 40 years earlier. And we don't know her age, but she's probably not quite that old. And so 
This is something that has been part of the conversation. And when the children of Israel now are on the other side of the Jordan, that conversation is being stirred again. These are the people that God delivered Egypt from. And Egypt was devastated. It was devastated economically because of the, the, um, the plagues of Egypt. Uh, their, their entire army was de- devastated when they were destroyed, you know, in the Red Sea. And so it is well known. And here's kind of the kicker in this. When the children of Israel came to this place before crossing over the Jordan and they sent out the 12 spies, this was already well known in all of, of Jericho. Jericho knew of what was going on the first time and they were faint-hearted. They were afraid then, and they, were, uh, they had terror then. This terror was in Jericho from when their parents came out of Egypt and God killed the Egyptian army. So that means that the people they called giants, and they said would consume all their enemies, and we are actually, you know, like grasshoppers in their sight, were actually the people who were shaking in their boots, and they didn't know it. They were the ones that were afraid already. And if you are going to battle, you want your enemy to be so terrified of you that they don't have the heart to fight. And that was already the case. And yet 10 of the spies came back and said, you know, we're grasshoppers in their sight. No, they were terrified of you and you didn't trust God. And you failed to get all that God wanted for you then because you assumed something that was not true. See, your lack of faith causes you to underestimate your enemy's intimidation of you and your God. See, fears, fear sees giants when faith sees cowards. I want to say that again. Fear sees giants when faith sees cowards. See, we oftentimes talk so uplifting of the enemy and all of his, you know, what he's doing. And he is active and he is working. But understand that he's, he's trembling in his boots when he's even acting against us. There's a fear factor that, that at any time uh, this, the, the believer will rise up with understanding who he is and his, his, his and her potential and rise up as soldiers and take the authority that God's given them and de- deliver a blow to the kingdom of darkness. They know that that potential is there at any time and their hope is that you don't recognize it. And even more, and I've heard People say this, listen, when you're trying to do something for God, you can be sure there's going to be attack against you. Yeah, that probably is the case. But it's more kind of an intimidation that comes. And, and quite frankly, when we even use that kind of thing, we're, not, we're, we're acting as if, you know, listen, be careful that you don't get going too far 
Be careful that you don't, you know, move too far in the kingdom of God, that you don't really get bold in the things of God, because if you do, the enemy's going to get you. And that sounds a lot like the ten spies. That's what it sounds like to me. Coming back with fear instead of faith. And it's why Joshua, who was the man of faith, by the way, he was one that came, right? He, he came through that thing. He had to go along with the, the, the rest of the people for 40 years in the desert. When he was a man of faith, he was ready to go in and face the enemy. And now he's ready to go in again and face the enemy. And what they're learning is that all along the enemy was terrified. And what could have happened if they would have just trusted God? And I wonder how many promises, how many opportunities we have had that God would use us, but we have been so terrified of stepping out and being used of God simply because we think worst-case scenarios of what would happen to us or what the enemy will do and his opposition to us instead of thinking of what God can do. Because one thing that God has already accomplished for us is the assurance of heaven and that even the worst-case scenario is just a promotion quicker than you normally would. You see? Even the worst case scenario, if, you know, if, if a life is given, it's just quick promotion. You really don't die. You understand, right? The scripture says, he that lives and believes in me will never die, Jesus said. So, so, so what, why do we hesitate? Why do we allow our fear to grow, you know, the enemy's view in our, in our mind rather than trusting the Lord because in all probability, as we've seen here, the enemy is shaking, hoping you won't recognize the tremendous potential you have and power you have in Christ. He's concerned about that. I, I believe he's a, he is very, I think most of his efforts are to numb the church into not recognizing its power and potential because if the church ever truly wakes up to who they are in Christ and truly stands in the faith and the power of his word and promises and truly understands spiritual warfare the kingdom of darkness is in big big trouble so yes amen so Joshua 2.11, it says, And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted, neither did there, there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and earth on earth beneath. So somehow Rahab, her, she, her faith 
began to trust in the God of Israel. And, and she recognized, and maybe the words that were spoken and how people were rehearsing what God, the, the Israelite God, they, that's what they called it, the Jewish God, was, was, uh, did for the, the children of Israel. And, and so all of a sudden, maybe along that path, as she's rehearsing that, her faith grows in the Israelite God. And she begins to trust him. And God recognizes the faith of Rahab. And, and I don't think it's, it's a coincidence that, that the spies ended up at her house. Do you? So, see, she says in verse 12, Now therefore I beg you, swear to me, by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, that you also will show kindness to my father's house. That you're going to show kindness to my father's house also. Isn't it interesting that redeemed people always want to bring others with them? She's not just looking for herself. She's looking for as many as she can bring in their family and beyond into her place of safety. And so the men answered, our lives for yours. If, if none of you tell this business of ours, in other words, if you don't, if, if you, don't uh, you know, let the, let the news out, if you keep it quiet, and it shall be when the Lord has given us the land... I want you to see the faith now of these two spies. Joshua sent the right people out, right? He sent the people of faith. Listen, if, if you're looking for advice, when you're looking for advice, because you do and will, always seek out people who have strong faith. Always seek out people with strong faith. Oftentimes, the worst people we, the, in, in situations when people are struggling or needing advice, they seek out the worst people. They might be friends. They, they, they might be the people who always have an opinion. But people who always have the, an opinion are not always the right people to listen to. And so... You want, to talk, you want to stop and you want to say, where is this person's walk with God? Blessed is a man or woman who does not seek counsel from the ungodly. Why is it, I, I have experienced this, I've seen this, I've talked with people who have made terrible decisions in their life over and over again in all the years of pastoring, Someone's struggling in their marriage and they go talk to somebody who's had three divorces, find out what the answer is, or they find out somebody who just, you know, is already angry, and they're the, the, the and why? Because they're the person at work, they're the person that's popular, they're the talker, they're that person, and they go seek that person out. And they get terrible advice, and they make, and they make, Ruins of their life because they get advice from just the wrong people. And God's warned us about this. And I can tell you this. If you're seeking advice from ungodly people, 
you're going to get ungodly advice, and I suspect there's something wrong already in your walk and relationship with God that you would even do that. That you've made a decision, you know that that person is not a person of faith, not a person that is going to give you godly advice. You know that person is not going to open up the Bible and share God's truth with you. You need to look at your heart because you're looking for something that God doesn't want to give you. And, and stop. And I don't know if I'm speaking to somebody right now. In fact, I know I'm speaking to somebody right now. Stop. Stop. You seek out people with great faith. People who, who find direction from God's word. And you go there. And you let God's word guide you and, and direct you in your life. So he says, he's, they, the men answered and says, uh, uh, you know, we're going to take care of you. Don't worry about that. Verse 15 says, then she let them down by a rope through the window uh, for her house was on the city wall and she dwelt on the wall. And she said to them, get to the mountains, lest the pursuers meet you, hide there three days until the pursuers have returned afterward you may go your way so what she's telling them is go the opposite direction of where your people are go the opposite direction hide there because they're going that direction thinking you're going back home stop for three days that three days keeps coming up at times doesn't it I mean, it keeps showing up in the scriptures. Why three days? What's the big deal about three days? Not a week, you know, not two days. Not, why three days? I think it keeps reminding us that it's three days. That's what it took. Three days. Three days in the grave. Three days before resurrection. There's a tie in this story to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And uh, it's not by accident as the writer, as, you know, they're, they're writing the story that these things come up. You could skip over things like that. You could just say, you know, you, you, when, you, when you're writing the story, which is, you know, you know the story. You know she said that, but it doesn't mean you would write that down. You might just say, go hide in the mountains, and then when they're gone, c- go. But but the writer, under the inspired inspiration of the Holy Spirit, gives us these details. That's the wonderful thing about God's word. And, and so it says, verse 17, So the men said to her, We will be blameless of this oath of yours, which you have made us swear, unless when we come into the land, you bind this line of scarlet cord. So the cord that, they, that she let them down with was a red or scarlet cord. It was a red cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you bring your father, your mother, your brothers, and all your father's household into your own house, so it shall be that whoever goes outside the doors of your house into the street, that his blood shall be on his own head. And we will be guiltless. And whoever is with you in the house, his blood shall be in our head if a hand is laid on him. Now, that would bring you just kind of earlier 
you know, in the story of, uh, of the children of Israel coming out of Egypt and would remind you of the fact when God told the children of Israel, when the death angel passes, you need to apply the blood on the doorpost. And, 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 uh, and, and when you apply it on the doorpost and uh, the crossbeam, that God will protect you. And, and the death angel will pass over. And whoever's in the house is safe. Because the blood is applied. And that blood... Also, of course, you know, that was on Passover that that happened, the very first Passover. And then Jesus, when he died on the cross, and he had his blood poured out for us, was on Passover so that the death angel would pass over us, and you and I have eternal life. We're safe. We're in safe harbor. We're in the house of the Lord in safety because of the blood of Jesus. That was an interesting picture that is happening here that you wouldn't know unless you knew, understood, knew this one little thing. Back in those days, prostitution, houses of prostitution would uh, color the bottom pane of the window with red. That was kind of like the red light district concept of that day. And so when, when travelers would come in and men would look, they would see the red at the bottom of the window and they knew that was the house of prostitution. I want you to know that as she threw out that red rope for the guys to go down, you have a cross, a red cross. And when it was time for the soldiers to come in, she was to let down that scarlet, that red rope, down through the middle, and that cross was what they would see. Because, well, because God passes over when the blood is applied. And we have the blood applied when we put our faith in the shed blood of Jesus Christ for our forgiveness of sin. God's so good. He's so smart. This all happened in reality, but I think God was orchestrating something, don't you? So, and if you, verse, verse 20 says, if you tell this business of ours, then we will be free from your oath, which you made, uh, made us swear. Then she said, according to your word, so it be. And she sent them away, and they departed, and she bound the scarlet cord in the window, and they departed and went to the, to the mountain and stayed there three days until the pursuers returned, and pursuers sought them all along the way, but did not find them. So the two men returned, the, returned descended from the mountain, crossed over, and they came to Joshua, the son of Nun, and told him all that had befallen them. And they said to Joshua, Truly the Lord has delivered all the land into our hands, for indeed all the inhabitants of the country are faint-hearted because of us. We got it. God's on our side. We win. 
Now, God used a prostitute to rescue these men. But see, God doesn't see her as a prostitute. God sees a woman who has faith. And her title maybe is in the past, because it's in the past doesn't mean it's in the present. And what we see about Rahab is some very interesting things as a result of her faith. God uses her, number one, and many of you already know this, that Rahab comes in the line of Jesus. She's in, in, the, gene, in the genealogy uh, found in Matthew. Uh, there are four women. Rahab is one of those women in the line. A prostitute. God chose a prostitute... To be in the line, the genealogy of Jesus. Why would he do that? Why, would, why, wouldn't, why wouldn't he keep the line pure? Uh, the line is pure. In the eyes of God. Because God will use anyone. It's an interesting thing. I told you that we don't know who the... Who the um, the spies are. But we can make some possible um, suggestions on that. What we find is, is Rahab becomes the mother of Boaz, the husband of Ruth in the Bible. She's found in that genealogy. And in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 4, listen to what it says. Ram begot, and, and this, I'm jumping right into the middle of the genealogy. You don't want me to start at the beginning, do you? And go through the whole thing. <laughs> These are the names you pass over every Christmas, right? When you're going through this Christmas story. You just pass these names over. Ram begot Amminadab. Amminadab begot Nashon. And Nashon begot Salmon. Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab. Boaz begot Obed to Ruth, and Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David the king. So you see this, this lineage here. Now, when Joshua went into the, you know, as a, one of the spies, it was him and Caleb uh, who, in fact, came back with the good report. Now, when Joshua chose two men, I... It's possible, I can't say you that this actually happened, um, but I would suggest to you that he picked from the same two tribes men as the same tribe of Caleb and Joshua. See, Joshua was from the tribe of Ephraim, and Caleb was from the tribe of Judah. So, Joshua... If he would have, one, uh, we don't know who he would have chosen from the tribe of Ephraim, but if he chose from the tribe of Judah, he would have probably chose Solomon. Because Solomon was the, lead, the, the head of the tribe of Judah at that time. So Solomon, who became Rahab's husband, Possibly was one of the spies 
that she saved their life. Maybe because he saved her life as well. Maybe after, it's just a nice love story. (laughs) He married her, and now you have her in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. She's in the hall of faith in Hebrews 11. We find her in actually these locations, three locations. We find her here in Matthew in the genealogy of Jesus. We find her in Hebrews in the hall of faith. And we call it the hall of faith because the writer of Hebrews talks about these great men and women of faith. Two women are mentioned in the hall of faith in Hebrews 11. She's one of them. Why did God choose a harlot to be in the hall of faith? I mean, there's a lot of women in the world. But he chose someone who had a terrible reputation. You know why? It doesn't matter what your reputation has been. It matters what your reputation will be because of Christ. It's not your past, it's your future. It's not where you've been, it's where you're going. And as a child of God, you know, God doesn't look at us based upon our past anymore. And God chose Rahab. And by the way, the writer of Hebrews leaves out some pretty significant people. In fact, at the end, after talking about Rahab and using her in the list, he says, and what will we say? Time doesn't give us we don't have enough time to talk about people like, you know, Elijah and, and uh, Isaiah and David. <laughs> kind of, you know, small fry people. We don't have time to talk about people like Rahab. A woman of faith. Because wherever you've been, can I tell you this? The scarlet cord, the blood of Jesus can cancel out, can wipe out every sin that you've ever committed in your life. And nothing is beyond his power to cleanse you. Nothing. She's found in the book of James as an example of faith. We read, and I'm going to close with this scripture, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 14. For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died and he died for all that those who live should live no longer for themselves but for him who died for them and rose again. That's a a call to us not to live for ourselves but to live for him who died for us. Therefore, from now on, We regard no one according to the flesh. We're not, we we don't see people according to the flesh. If we see people according to the flesh, what we have to do is we have to add in their history. We see people according to the flesh, we have to uh, look at their reputation. But we don't regard people according to the flesh anymore. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. We don't see Christ even 
in, in, as, as a person who was in the flesh when he walked on earth. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, you want to read this with me? Let's start from the beginning. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That's you. That's you. If you have Christ, that's you. I'd like to just praise him for that. Ken, would you come and whoever worship team? Um, get ready. While they're doing that, I want to ask this question. Please listen, it's very important. If you have not received Christ, whether you're here or online, if Christ is not your Savior, if you've not applied the blood of Jesus Christ to cleanse you, the death angel doesn't pass over. The death angel will come to your home someday. And you will then, from that day on, not have the potential or the ability to live with God for eternity. You get that chance. You probably had the chance many times already. But someday that chance is over. And you're never guaranteed another chance. Even tomorrow is never guaranteed. And so I want to give you an opportunity to just say yes to Jesus right now. To invite him and the blood of Jesus to cleanse your soul and so that you are free from, well, from your reputation. Or more than that, from your sin. And so if you would like to do that, God has made it so simple. The very start of a life that is lived with Christ starts with just a confession and a prayer. And it can go something like this. In fact, you could even follow me and just say this. Dear God, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And Jesus, I believe you died for my sins. I put my faith in you. I need you. I need you to cleanse my soul. And I ask you to do that. I ask you to forgive me for everything that I've done wrong in my life. Anything that I've done wrong, whether I even know it. I ask you to come into my life, my heart, and help me to follow you. Because I make a choice today that you are now my Savior. My Savior. Help me to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, if you prayed that prayer, please go to our website and let us know. And, uh, and we'll be happy to get you started and help you in your new walk with God. Okay? Can we just lift our hearts to the Lord right now? Thank you, Lord, for the scarlet cord. Thank you for the blood of Jesus. Let's all stand. Amazing grace. This is unfailing love that you would take my place. 